0: This is the University of Applied Research and Development's Emergency Response and
1: Risk Management video and podcast. You'll meet world-class leading professionals who share their wisdom, careers, and experiences. Join us on YouTube and all quality podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and Radio Public.
0: Welcome everyone, this is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development with our emergency response and risk management podcast. It is our privilege to have with us Ian Holt, who's the head of GIS for Bayonet, which is the mapping and survey services in the UAE. He's also a member over the last 14 years with Map Action, which is a UK-based charity that supports humanitarian services when there is an emergency or a disaster. So I'm delighted to have you with us, Ian.
1: Thank you, delighted to be here.
0: How about you tell us about your current role and what you're doing now?
1: Okay. So right now, I, as, as Craig mentioned, there is, there's sort of two hats I'm, I'm wearing, one of which is my, my day job, which is head of um, GIS. My job was to really uh, bring in a commercial flavor to what was a, a company that relied very much on um, topographic and bathymetric surveying to, for, its, for its revenues. But now it saw that there was more value in that data than just providing it to one customer. And so, how do they how do they provide that to a wider range of customers and different users? And particularly now with um, artificial intelligence, uh, meaning that more information could be extracted from that data. There's possibly opportunities for greater value to be to be gained. So, my job uh, has been to build up a team of people who specialise in those aspects, and then work alongside the rest of the business to deliver. Um, Uh, projects and deliver uh, products to the market that will help them uh, commercialize that data. And Then with my other hat, uh, you mentioned the map action side, that's the the voluntary side uh, within the emergency management sphere, whereby uh, I respond when I can to um, humanitarian emergencies and and relief activities. Sometimes that's in the field. Uh, deployments and sometimes that's a, a, a slower burn where it's, for, for example, with the uh, coronavirus we've been asked, the organisation I should say, has been asked to work alongside uh, the UN to, uh, with, with the data that they have coming in from many other sources. So it's not always in the field, in a tent, creating maps.
0: That sounds interesting to jump onto right now. Tell us about that, the bringing in the data to help emergency services with what's happening right now with corona.
1: Okay so I'm, I'm, I must admit I've, I've not um, spent too much on this because other members of the team have been going through that but well, what, from what I've been observing um, again it's not something that we would typically deploy to the field so if, for example in a in a, a hurricane or um, an earthquake or um, another activity whereby um, you, uh, human, any humanitarian parties deploy to the field and are providing a number of services we would probably be providing GIS and and mapping services. But in this case, um, it's much more of a a medical um, situation, which is very much more dispersed. So it's more about looking after systems that various organizations are using. So with our sort of technical skills in the spatial sphere, how can we input and make those systems more valuable by putting that geography element into them and, and improving on that front?
0: So just before I started recording, you said something interesting. You said everything has a geography to it. <laughs> so in terms of emergency preparedness or response, tell us about how, how that is used, how that can be beneficial with what you do.
1: Yeah, I think if, I think a colleague of mine coined the term something about everything happens somewhere. So I think when um, it starts from the very beginning of an, of an emergency, um, in terms of the most important, critical products that, um, as um, as 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 geospatial um, uh, mappers do, is to provide an operational picture of of what's going on, who's doing what, and where they're doing it. So that who, what, where mapping is probably one of the first pieces of information that we try to produce in the field. And from the very first moment, like so, as we try to deploy within. Uh, the first 24 hours of an emergency because a lot happens at that point. Um, Of course, the need is great at that point as well, but it's in that sort of emergency response phase and you have a lot of actors coming into the field, a lot of other... um, humanitarian bodies coming in so where, where they often don't know where they're, they're going to uh, precisely they often don't know where everybody else is deploying to they don't know probably where for example where the, maybe where the epicenter of the earthquake is or where the affected areas were so knowing having that information is vital to how they can deploy supplies or deploy their own teams and, and the skills that they bring in so it's, it's vital that the geography has to has to play a part and knowing where that's where everything's occurring is, is all part of that.
0: So is the information digital only, or is it physical? How do, how do you present it?
1: So that's a great, that's a really great question. So um, I think probably most people would today would say, well, everything you'd expect everything to be digital. People would be wandering around with with iPads, and they would be uh, you know sort of maybe they'll be swapping um, USB sticks, or they'll probably be using some sort of um, a network connectivity to be able to transmit data. And to a certain extent, that's true, and that's improved a lot um, in the last few years. But even so, people still like to walk away with hard copies. So, for example, if we're providing, if we're providing um, maps that um, uh, helicopter pilots want to augment the information they've already got, as in where they have to land and uh, maybe the, the sort of mountain passes they can, they can uh, climb to. But that is a particular reference to Nepal where the helicopters only have, have a certain ceiling which they can reach. So quite often they'll have to follow valleys up to a certain height. They can, but in any case, people want to have a, a paper product. So I think for the, the um, I mean, this is quite some time ago now, but I think for the Haitian earthquake that we produced something like, in, in, the, in the first two weeks we were there, something like about 5,000 maps for people to, who just, they just wanted something to come in and they want to be able to annotate it manually. That is transitioning to a, a more, much more electronic form, but still there's still a need for physical copies of, of maps. And... We we our role there is to put as much information on there to make it readable and usable, and so we'd have a number of mapping products for different type of organisations, whether they're dealing with sanitation or whether they're dealing with food mm. supply, or and, uh, and a variety of different uh, methods, I suppose. So
0: as a as a previous geography teacher many years ago, and looking at topographical maps, that's kind of my. My advanced level of mapping and what a map might look like, so I, could, I would imagine things have changed in there's types of data that's available now that those maps are just a pale ancestor to. So can you describe some of the unique individual features that that might be there now?
1: Um, so are you probably again be surprised that probably, probably a great deal hasn't changed um, in terms of in terms of the data is very similar. it's often how how it's captured and and brought to us. So that could be, you know, we, we've got new, you know, we've got drones capturing data. We've got sometimes satellites can be requisitioned to be, uh, particularly big emergencies, can be requisitioned to be put over um, uh, certain areas, um, not necessarily by us, but by by the organisations who are able to do that. And so there's a there's a lot more information that's coming in. So it's often about distilling that down, and that's what a map is. A map is quite often a distillation of vast quantities of information. And also, what happens? Um, again, this is a number of years ago, um, with uh, when social media started to become used. And I think um, there was, a, in the Kenyan elections, there was a, um, a tool called Ushahidi. Ushahedi, I think it is called. Uh, you, you might have to correct me on that one. But again, people were reporting what was going on on the ground, just regular people were using text at that point, but now that's also exploded into people being able to report on, on smartphones and give precise locations what's going on. And all that information, some of, it's, some of it's great, some of it's just noise. So how do you filter all of that down into a picture that you can give to somebody to decide what to do? So quite often what we are producing is products that people can take away, so maps or, or data that they can take away and work on themselves. But often we'll go to the, uh, the planning meetings in, in major emergencies every, that happen, occur every day or, or maybe a couple of times a day to sort of give that operational picture of what's going on where. So, again, you said that, so maybe some of the mapping, uh, the cartography side of things has changed. I, I don't think it necessarily has. I think it's, it's, you're still, uh, again, like I said, distilling feature uh, information down into, you know, maybe you're, you're still using contours to maybe display terrain, but you're, you're still using, um, lines and polygons and points to represent information that's going to be placed on top of that and it's the skill comes into and how you make that clear and how you make that relevant to the person who's going to be using it but um, of course with with um, with the digital element to it, maybe you can you, know, you can have uh, 3d um, views to things, but um, quite often it's it's a it's a quite a, not a chaotic picture, but a, a one that's changing rapidly, and people are uh, you know rushing around. So the last thing they want is to be um, ooing and ahhing over a lot of te- technology. You know, then you, know, you could say, well, why don't we have like nice um, VR headsets? Well, of course, if they, if you could put it on your head, it would be instantly usable. But if it's not, it's not probably adding much to the situation. So quite often, even the simplest um, view of the world is one that works the best.
0: That's great. That's that's a quote to keep right there. So you said that um, maybe the representation on the map is is as it was before, but the way that the information is received, drones, satellites, are there other ways that information is being collected um, now that wouldn't have been done in the past?
1: So, so like I said, the social media side. So, so there'll be there will be various hashtags and channels that. Um, a number of organisations will, will listen to not not just us. Other people will be doing their own filtering of that. But again, it can be it, because they'll be looking out for information about maybe maybe road, where roads are out and bridges are out. Not, so even though they'll, they'll do their own field surveys, they'll be looking at um, they'll be looking at perhaps. Um, other, other information of areas maybe they can't get to that quickly or where the emergency is more acute and they just, you know, you just can't, maybe you can't fly in there or drive there. So there's, there's a lot of other sources that are available, you know, especially with mobile communications um, globally that people can report on and somehow trying to get that down into a usable form to say, okay, you, know, you could have a lot of people shouting in one area, but actually the need is not as great as in another area where where perhaps they're quieter because they have been more great they've been greatly affected. So how do you how do you weigh up those sort of things? So it's um, again there it has to be assessments done, but that's usually a little bit of a slower time. Sometimes it's you know it's the first few days you've really got to particularly with emergencies that have a sudden impact earthquakes for example where you know buildings topple and you've got to really the, the first people who go in are going to be those who are making assessments as to um, as to which buildings they need to uh, take in sort of a heavy um, uh, response earthquake response to lighter earthquake response I guess so yeah it can be it's um, there, there there is more information coming in and and that's again comes down to the skill of of the of the of the volunteer I suppose
0: so you said hashtags, drones, satellites, social media, other ways that information is incorporated into GIS data.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there's the, the other big thing. I mean, the other thing that happened um, over the past few years, which is probably now a bit uh, a bit older, but was was people also being able to collect their own data. So there's plenty of, of tools that people can be provided with um, if they know about them to, co- to collect what's going on around in their locale and be able to transmit that directly into systems if the, if the infrastructure's available. So if there's if there's a mobile network that has decent data bandwidth, then maybe people could upload, you know, they could start mapping their own areas to say, look, this is more damage than others. And it can, for example, I think in, although again, it's about 10 years ago, but I think in Haiti, there, there are people, um, um, they're giving GPS units to guys on motorcycles to drive around the city. To, to do a lot of the data collection form, whereas traditionally that probably would have been done by more professional people using no. quite expensive equipment. But, you know, everything that you can pretty much do reasonably well uh, and, and the reasonable level of accuracy on a smartphone that you that you can now do, the regular person can do that and uh, that can um, speed up the pace at which information can come in
0: so what, are, what would those motorcyclists be collecting photographs and videos and well projects? because
1: it was te- because it was 10 years ago I, it was it was mostly gps points so 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 they if they had a camera on them sure they could they could do that but they were i think i think there was, there was some fear that they wouldn't bring gps units back but um, I, I don't think that ever transpired but um, uh, but in this case it was because there was a lot of um, there was a lot of temporary encampments being Built up, people would find an open space of ground where there wasn't any danger of, of buildings toppling on them or, or anything like that, and so they'll set up temporary camps. But these would move every day, so you know you pretty much have to be going out and and surveying that in a sense as to where everything's moving and how many people were there. And that's and we, if you're just trying to rely on the teams that you've got, there, you might not have enough people to do that effectively very quickly. So if you can use um, local people to do to collect on your behalf, so we we. As part of MAP Action, what we we also obviously do those responses, but we also do run training as well. So we will work with um, other participants such as a, uh, the Red Cross, the UN, and all its various organisations. So they understand um, how we operate, the sort of data we need, and we understand the, how they operate and the data they need. So we can sort of uh, collectively make sure we we have the right information. So when we're in the field under those very stressful conditions, that we can actually collect that um, we can collect the appropriate level of, of information and make that useful for, for each of us. Um, but also we work with um, local groups to, again, empower them to be able to capture data them- themselves. So um, t- with with OpenStreetMap existing, um, people can start to uh, capture uh, data of the local area. And OpenStreetMap itself uh, uh, or has various sort of um, spin-offs, branches. I don't know what the best term would be. So there's the humanitarian OpenStreetMap. Um, uh, uh, OpenStreetMap Team, HOT. There's um, there's another organization as well. They're, they're all about uh, making use, uh, allowing people, empowering people to collect data very quickly and being able to use that in the field. So they're, if they're, again, if an emergency happens, there will be teams remotely in uh, generally, uh, probably the UK and Europe and, and the US, which will start using whatever available satellite imagery there is to start capturing um, detailed building um, um, outlines because, and streets, because that can be immensely useful for any teams going in and being usable, even if that's been partly destroyed. It's still sometimes there is no other data to be. You can't get hold of it. So sometimes it may be that the country has very restrictive use of their geographical data, and you and you can't get hold of it for whatever reason, or they're, they're very cautious about who who actually uses it. So being able to being able to very rapidly capture open source data and being able to make that usable by um, by people on the ground, rather than having to go to a ministry, perhaps. I mean, uh, again, things change, and, and, and this isn't always the case. But sometimes it can speed it up. Maybe sometimes uh, you, it's quicker to get data by having some volunteers collect it remotely, or not. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of more tools these days for uh, for the. Um, for the individual or more sort of uh, amateur uh, volunteer to be able to help.
0: So, with your current role, what you're doing with Bayonet, uh, with the data that you're you're commercialising, um, is there anything that you can share with us now about some of the interesting tools or data sets that you're you're releasing?
1: Well, so 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 like I said, Bayonet sort of has operated. Uh, Operated in um, operating, or in the commercial sphere, and is operating in the military sphere. So, on the military side, of course, we we it's sort of the company is very much segregated. So, so that 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 data we we can't really disclose or do anything about. On the commercial side, what's interesting is uh, I think the UAE as a whole has invested quite a lot of time and money into into artificial intelligence. Like I said, so where we came in is what what can we do now that we can we can maybe we've got some um, we got some, um, not hardware, some, some vehicles and uh, collection devices that not many other people have. So whether those are mobile mapping units or whether those are aircraft, we can use that to, to capture and refresh data that, we, that traditionally would already have been done. But now what more can we do with that? So for example, um, we've been looking at how can we distinguish uh, different tree types? And if... Mm. Uh, and, and for... In a, in a, I think, in a, as I understand it, in a, in a, in a national security sense, uh, the number of date palms is, is relatively significant, as, I think as an emergency food source, it's like, uh, I think that because there are so many of them. So how, how, can, how can you more effectively count those than, than having uh, somebody on the ground and, and you being able to recognise the, the shape and the pattern of date palms? So, that uh, so that's, that's one project. Um, we worked on. Uh, we did quite a few things with trees, actually. I think there was, there was quite a push towards being able to identify what vegetation is in the country. But also we're, we're looking at um, how we could determine where um, aquifers are more likely to be from um, different uh, geological formations. Um, we uh, we only partly got so far uh, up to, this, to date. So we're really just trying to find out more things we can do with AI because, again, the country's investing heavily in that and um, it'll be a shame to sort of be behind the curve. and maybe we can offer our expertise mm. in that place.
0: Ian, you know, I do want to thank you for your time. Before we finish, uh, if you have some career advice or some insights of experiences that you recommend our graduates who are just starting their career in emergency response, risk management, disaster preparedness, what sort of advice and guidance would you suggest that they get
1: um, so, for me, because I probably because I, I would say that to you, don't have to you don't have to immerse yourself in a lot of technology to be able to understand what geography can do. I think probably from a few things I've said in, in this recording, I've, I've sort of seen that there's a lot of traditional elements that are still used today, and even just the very simplest of, of maps. Can be more useful than um, than, a, list, than a, a set of um, tables or, or columns of, of information because I, I don't know maybe it's me but I think a lot of people are very visually oriented and mm. so if you can start to if you can picture a layout of where everything is and where things are happening it can it can sort of. Augment immensely what you may have just looked at as a, as a table of perhaps town names with population numbers, and you can sort of get a better idea of. So I'd say that um, you don't have to go to it into great detail, but certainly pick up some of the some of the GIS elements if you can. And there's certainly plenty of of introductory courses and, and training knocking around. Um, for me, the reason why I got into this in the first place. Was um, firstly when I was at university doing doing geography. Um, I left that, and my my friends and colleagues were all going into um, accounting for some reason. It was very popular as a as a as a, a, a career to do after geography. And this, I, I always liked maps, so that for me personally it was having maps. And then finding that you could actually use those to um, organisation like Map Action to be able to help people um, was was also a great revelation as well, which was um not i always thought you had to join, join someone like um medicine Sans Frontieres or or maybe some of the or, or the engineering corps or something like that to really have, have an impact so sometimes it could be the the passion or skill that you've got doesn't necessarily have to be in more of the more hardcore technical humanitarian fields um where i tend to probably fall down more on um is around the policy side um which obviously drives a lot of a lot of response and that's you know, immensely important. But as but um I way there's there's many opportunities. I've I've had a, I've had the opportunity to work with um with the World Bank um on a number of their assessments and with other sort of international organizations I, I, I would never have had the opportunity before. So emergency management is a fantastic field to go into personally, I would say.
0: Ian, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you doing this interview for us and I'm sure our students are going to benefit from it.
1: you're welcome. Thank you, Craig.